0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Technology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stinnett. Uh, today, we have a very special, awesome guest. Uh, his name is Steve Shule, and you may know him because he's the current mayor of Durham, an all around awesome person, uh, and a fellow Lynchburgian. I'm not sure if that's uh, correct term for people from Lynchburg, Virginia, but we're from around the same spot. So uh, Steve, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. And uh, we're just wondering if you can like tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and your history as uh, as mayor.
1: Well, thank you, Drew and Rochelle. It's great to see you, an old friend, a good friend, yes. and Drew, a new friend. Uh, and we did grow up in the same city, although I'm a little bit older than you are, about a generation or so. <laughs>
0: Just uh, one generation. That's not too much. Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe two
0: actually, but <laughs>
1: close enough. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I came to Duke in 1969 uh, to be a college freshman. And uh, you know, I when when back in those days, if you were at Duke, you didn't get off campus much. It was a pretty closed. Pretty close campus, not like it is today. Duke students are a lot more engaged in the community now, which is great. But I was, I love Duke, but I didn't know Durham very well until I graduated and I stayed around, um, went one year to Columbia to graduate school, uh, came back uh, and just fell in love with Durham um, and wanted to stay here. And And uh, I have been so lucky. I mean, the, the city was always interesting. The politics, you know, back, I'm talking 50 years ago now when i uh, moved here. Uh, the politics were always, were always interesting. Um, it was a gritty town back then, and it's a gritty town now. Uh, there was there was already uh, a lot of work towards racial power sharing, uh, and you know that we really uh, do well now in Durham. Uh, and so uh, it was already a great place to be, uh, but it's just I think become uh, an even more wonderful city. Uh, in that time. And we really continue to have big challenges, Uh, but it's just been my pleasure to be able to, I was on the the school board for four years. I was on city council for six years. I've been mayor for four years. So um, it's been an incredible privilege to be able to do it. Uh, It really has.
2: So Steve, let me ask you this. So you started off on, on city council, right? That's, that's where your first political school board,
1: school board, school
2: board, okay. Mm -hmm. And then city council. Mm -hmm. Um, what made you want to be in politics? And and what do you think is the current state of politics? And and I wanna ask a leading question. Uh, We just had the elections in Virginia uh, and you see we have a new governor. And there was a special on CNN about uh, his election and a lot of Democrats flipped over to vote for him because they felt the current incumbent had not addressed their needs, plus there's all this noise about vaccines and mandates and masks and all that stuff. What was the driving force for you to go into politics and how has politics changed? And where do you see politics going? Uh, not necessarily so partisan, but why is it so divisive as, as it is in a lot of ways?
1: Yeah. Well, those are big questions and, I. Uh, I did not run for office till I was fifty-four years old. It wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of our folks now start really young, which is great. But I didn't. Uh, I had worked on a lot of campaigns. I worked on a lot of different issues, Um, and I was, uh, I, I I was real active on the school merger task force that merged the city and county schools, as we used to have a essentially segregated school systems here in Durham, uh, and, and almost all African American central city system, and then a county system, which was overwhelmingly white. We merged those systems, and I worked on that. And And my kids were in school, uh, in Durham Public Schools, and I loved Durham Public Schools. And I I, I just wanted to try to make a contribution uh, in that way. Uh, I loved, I w- I'd been a PTA president and, you know, done all the things that you do. I was a soccer coach at Brogdon, at Riverside, you know. So, I, I loved the schools, and it was really that. I wanted to try to to make them better. And, uh, that's what got me started. Uh, I think that, um, you know, in terms of what politics is like now and how it's different. Um, I think there are a couple of things that are different that we, some of which we don't experience so much in Durham, but it is true nationally. One is the kind of geographic division of people now, so much greater. Um, there are some, a few cities, a few counties. It's, this is not true of, but by and large, you've, we've had a much more, uh, you know, Democrats and people on the left have flocked to cities and the rural areas and small towns are overwhelmingly conservative. And that's different than when I grew up. It, it's, it's, it certainly was a, a one factor, but it's it, nothing like the division that, we've, that we experience now. And I'll tell you, I think the other thing that has been so, is really hard to negotiate for a lot of people, is just the effects of social media. The fact that you can say terrible things about people anonymously, or not anonymously, like our former president. And it just broadcasts all over the world. It's everywhere. And it's been really destructive. Um, I know there's some great things about social media, but the political influences, I think, have been really deleterious and um, I'm not talking just about you. And, and then, you know, there's the kind of extreme examples of that, which is, uh, you know, what we saw in 2016 with the, with the Russian influence, the, you know, kind of sub Rosa Russian influence on social media that, you know, millions of impressions were created on. I, I just, yeah, so I'm, I'm really worried about that. Um, I'm worried about the division. I'm worried about social media and its effects on politics and the way it's really coarsened our political rhetoric and debate and conversation. So those are the of my thoughts, Rochelle.
2: I appreciate that. And, and also what social media has done is distort or put a lot of misinformation out there about COVID, specifically vaccines. And I read an article from the New York Times this morning where it said that uh the greatest number of deaths are in conservative populations, you know, specifically rural conservative populations. And I don't know whether that's because people don't believe or trust science and trust the government or whether that's just what you said, social media gone awry, you know, where there's so much. I mean, all the conversations you see on television are positive about the vaccine, of course, their side effects. Medicine is not perfect. I mean, people have, you know, things happen to them and we're not talking about a uni- uniformed population where everybody has the same health issues, you know, age and other things that come along and yet still uh, people don't believe in the vaccine. They don't want to wear a mask. Uh, you know, and it's just really unfortunate that these things have come this way. You know, I, Drew and I talk a lot about technology and the pluses and minuses of technology, but in our work, what we do, I mean, like, this is all making life more convenient, making it better, and all that stuff, and then you have this flip side, and I learned something about Drew the other day. Drew reports to Facebook, I believe, misinformation, is that correct, Drew? Oh, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite hobbies.
1: Uh- <laughs> wow, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, and, and it is, you know, so, you know, I think that that's, continuing to be a problem. And if COVID is not going to go away, you know, people are always talking about, you know, these population shifts from white to black and brown and all these other things. We're going to have more people dying and, and we may not be able to hold on to our status uh, as a superpower, as a, as a leader in the world, if we let so many of our citizens die from this pandemic that could be treated.
1: Yes. I mean, I'll start with what I think, you know, I'll say that I'm very proud of Durham in this regard. Um, I think by the end of this weekend, we'll have 90 percent of our residents 12 and above with at least one shot in their arm, which is great. Wow. But to do that, uh, we've had to overcome a lot of mistrust. Uh, particularly in communities of color where you could really understand the fear and the mistrust of the medical system. Uh, but one of the things we did was we hired, uh, this, I had proposed this about, gosh, three, three four months to the, uh, ago to our um, city county, city council and county commission that we split the cost of hiring community health workers. We hired 45 community health workers uh, they're, in, they're placed in non-community organizations and they, all, what they work on is vaccine equity, trying to build the trust of communities that are fearful. Mm-hmm. And they are peers. They are people who are embedded in the community. And it's really worked. It's really worked to increase our vaccine uptake, which is great. So it can be done. Yeah. I think that there are two factors though. One is people who have that sort of mistrust. And then there are people that um, are just uh, you know the other kind of misinformation that you're talking about that's you know deliberate politically motivated and it's just been very destructive um, I'm not sure how we overcome that I really don't I don't know how to do that I mean what you what you're doing drew in terms of trying to correct it is fantastic but there's so much out there and it's so powerful and I'm just uh, very worried about it Um, and these are people who get, you know, these people who don't want this vaccine get all kinds of other vaccines, right? Um, and do all other kinds of health measures that to take care of themselves. That so there's, it's, it's an unfortunate aspect of our political reality, yeah. really is.
2: It really is, and, and I think that where we are in our society as a whole, you know, we still have so much separation and division among ourselves. You know, you guys were talking earlier about growing up in a time where before integration, I mean, it seems almost as if people want to go back to those times where people are separated by real bright lines in the sand. Uh, you know, I I think that living in Durham, you know, I find myself, you know, kind of, you know, jaded because I mean, like we have a really great society. You know, we don't have these racial, we haven't had any police violence that's been over the top. You know, we seem to get along fairly well. And you go somewhere else and it's uh What movie was I just in? Did I miss something? Why is this not available in other communities and other places?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Durham, if I would have to say one thing about our brand in the sense that this is what we tell people we are and it's actually who we are, is that we really welcome all people. And I have felt so good about that in the last number of years in Durham. Um, you know whether or not you're. I'm gonna try to move out of the sun here, but I'm not succeeding. Um, but whether or not you're, you, you, you might be. Um, well, you know lately, Afghan refugees. We expect to have a hundred Afghan refugees. They're so welcome in Durham. People are just. There's been an outpouring of support for our refugee agencies who are going to be resettling them. World Relief Durham and Church World Service. Um, it, if if it, if wherever you're from. Uh, whatever your documentation status, whether or not you're a refugee, what language you speak, your religion. And if you're just a transgender kid trying to figure it out, Durham will make a home for you. And right. um, and I love that about our city. Uh, it really is a wonderful thing. And I feel like it's an ethic that's, that's really well established. And I think we should all be very proud
2: of that. I agree with you. I I, want to say something about you and then I'm going to let Drew ask you 50 questions. But I want to say this you know, so I have known you probably since 2008, 2007. I don't remember exactly when the first time I met you came to a party at my mother in law's house many, many years ago when Minnie was on the school school board at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I have found about you, you know, and it's just really amazing to me, you know, like we're not. Too far apart in age, um, you know. We we. I'm share, a lot older. Yeah, good luck with that. We share uh, a lot of uh, things uh, in common. Some of our philosophies and beliefs, but I have always found you approachable. No matter what it is I want to ask, no matter what I want to talk about, you have always been approachable. And to have that in a politician is like winning the lottery. It's like everything, because normally there's so many so many barriers to approaching someone to get an issue on the table. You listen to my my IT proposal, you sent it on to people. I mean, that is what we should be looking for in politicians and people to make this world more human. And so, I just want to say thank you so much for being a good leader in our city, to be a good conduit for information, and that's. Hard to find. I will just tell you, not all city leaders and all politicians follow that mantra. You know, they kind of, you know, shut the gates and push you off to their secretaries or their admins and whoever, and and you don't get to. And that's a really wonderful quality about you, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so sad to see you go. But I am so excited for your next chapter, and I can't wait to hear all about it and how I can help. So thank you so much for always being there for me. For my family and for Durham.
1: Thank you, thank you, Rochelle. You know, here's the thing about that. That's the fun part of the job of being mayor. There. There's a there's a bunch that's not fun. I mean, there are things that are just hard, like that. You, you, you know, kind of go with the. I'll give you an example. There's a massive amount of reading, a massive amount of reading, and I enjoy it a lot. But sometimes it gets to be too much. There's that sort of thing. And then there are just the few people, honestly, who will try to make your life miserable. Um, there's a little of that. Um, some of it, I, I ignore Like we were talking earlier about social media. I don't read any social media about myself. So I don't ever have to worry about anybody calling me out or telling me I'm terrible. I know they're doing it. I hear it every once in a while. Somebody will say, hey, so-and-so said something terrible about you. I said, well, I don't read it. So I'm good.
2: <laughs> um, I love it.
1: Yeah, I don't. I really don't. But, um, but the good part. Is there's so many people doing things like you all are doing right now. Super positive things to try to make Durham and our society better. It's just amazing. And the good part of the job is I it's, it's it's like it's a license to get involved with those people. Yeah. It's like a license to listen to those people, to hear what they're doing, to try to promote it, to try to sometimes, you know, people need advice. Sometimes they're just come to tell me about it. Sometimes they want me to cut a ribbon on this, you know, great new, new business they're starting. So being able to do those kinds of things is so much fun,
2: yeah. um,
1: and and, and uh, I love that part about it. I'm going to miss that. I'm going to really miss that. Yeah, there are things I'm going to miss, and that's that's one of them.
2: We're certainly going to miss you, but I'm not going to let you escape from me because I have all your phone numbers and addresses. You got it all. <laughs> yes, you I got do. my
1: Gmail. You got it all.
2: I got it all.
1: So That's good.
2: You're not going to escape from me, so I will be well, in touch I, to find out what you're doing.
1: Rochelle, I'm very much looking forward to our enduring friendship.
2: Absolutely. All right, Drew, your turn. <laughs> so I
0: just had like a, a few things I wanted to talk about, like uh, when we talk about social media, especially like around politics. Um, I think it's very easy. For like maybe folks like us to be like, are people crazy with this vaccine, right? Like, why do people think that it's so bad? But then when they're getting, when all of their social media is just saying vaccine bad, Democrats, five uh, G, microchip, and like that's their entire news feed, and that's all that they see. Like, I don't know if if I were in their position, like maybe I would think that as well. And I'm just yeah. wondering, like, are there better ways that we can like <laughs> get a, di- a more diverse uh, I don't know, diversity of information to folks in social media? Or are we just sort of at the beck and call of like big tech companies saying, hey, this this gets a lot of engagement. Uh, sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say that, you know, I also feel like I live in somewhat of a, a political echo chamber. Hmm. Uh, the information that I get is I, I try to listen to diverse sources, but I know that I mainly listen and read things that You know, they confirm my biases. Um, I I I like to think that I'm doing a better job than some of the people you're talking about in terms of listening to other other points of view. But I think you're right. I think that to some extent we are at this moment at the beck and call of these companies. I mean the. Yeah, it's very profitable to be in the business of, you know in, 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 in the, you know, the, the big tech social media companies, yeah. it's extremely profitable. And so that motive is driving a lot. Uh, and I think that we need to have better regulation. And interestingly, I think that's something that both Democrats and Republicans in Washington actually agree on. Yeah. The need to begin regulating the big tech companies, uh, you Now, exactly what form that will take, I'm not sure, but it does seem like it will happen. Um, you know that might help some but honestly I'll be honest with you Drew that's your generation is going to have to solve that one <laughs> yeah. you all are the tech people you 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 all I'm Rochelle is also but that's pretty rare um, you know it really I think is going to fall to your generation to uh, get us out of this conundrum I mean one of the things it's done that I think is so sad and it made me especially because I was in the news, you know, I published The Independent, I was in the newspaper business for 30 years. The, you know, social media has just undercut journalism, destroyed journalism. Um, there's still good journalists out there, but the people that now call themselves journalists or reporters on social media and are just, you know, there's no reporting and there's no editing and there's no, you know, no kind of editing filter to try to figure out what's true, what isn't. It's been really destructive and um, again I think that you know your generation is gonna have to figure out other models for journalism because people want it yeah they want good reporting and they want good editing but figuring out a model to pay for it is still not there and so yeah when a lot of these things are gonna have to happen before our situation improves
0: yeah that, I think that's a great point like just ethics and journalism like you know growing up heard my uh, dad talk about you know, newspaper journalism, it was like, well, you can't just like put a story out, like you have to do fact checking. And like, they were very, uh, (laughs) you know, they're very like by the books on making sure like all of the ethics are in place. And, you know, the T's, the T's slashed and the I's dotted. And now with like online journalism, it's just like, I just write whatever you want. And like, if people click it, then it's successful.
1: Exactly. It's sad, but uh, I've, you know, it's, it's not inevitable uh people created these companies people can change these companies Uh, so we have to keep at it i'm an optimist for sure
0: absolutely Uh, the other thing i was sort of curious about uh so when uh my wife and i and my son moved here we moved here like i guess it was like 15 years ago from wilmington and uh when we moved to Holly Springs, which is like a 45 minutes South of Durham, yeah. we'd originally looked at moving to Durham and like everyone we talked to was like, no, you cannot move to Durham crime rate out of the roof. You're going to get like shot. Like it's, it's awful. And like, it, it scared us away. And we were like, okay, we won't go to Durham. We'll like move further out. And then like, when I started working at Duke and like actually coming to Durham, like you see that, like, it's just like an amazing place. Like there's full of like art and there's music everywhere and there's just like cool shops. And like, now it's, I don't know when the Renaissance really started or was there even a Renaissance or has it always just been this like really cool place that I feel like maybe gets mislabeled by folks that don't live here.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear Rochelle's thoughts on that, but I'll give you mine and then she can maybe jump in. But, Um, Durham, as I said, since I've been here, it's always been a great place to live. No question. Uh, but I think, you know, we should, we should say we have, we have some tremendous challenges. And one of them is violent crime. Our violent crime was going down for 20 straight years. Uh, we, we, but in the last two years during the pandemic, we have seen a surge in gun violence. We uh, in 2019, we had 189 people shot with a gun. Shot, not shot at. 189. A lot. But two years later, that gun had gone up to 319. I'm sorry, that one year later, the next year, from 189 to 319. That's terrible. And so we have to do everything we can to fight gun violence. And I have a lot of ideas about that. But uh, I've discussed them also with Rochelle. But I think that uh, the other thing that we have, the real threat, I think, the the, the real threat to our quality of life is um, housing affordability,
0: uh,
1: gentrification, the inability of people who want to live in this city to be able to afford to live here. Uh, that is both uh, all up and down the income spectrum from people who are homeless. Of course, we know we need to help them all the way up to young two earner families who want to buy a house in Durham and can't afford to do it. Yeah. Uh, we are doing a huge amount on affordable housing in Durham, which I'm happy to talk about. But it's it's not going to do the whole job for sure. We are. The, the this, this the average uh, family that moves to Durham has an income of about ten thousand dollars more per year than the average family that lives in Durham. Now they're competing for housing, driving up the prices of housing. Uh, they're displacing long term, low income residents. It's a big problem and it is an existential threat to what we want to be. If, if, you know, we want to make the city, we love a city for all. What's the biggest threat to that? It is housing affordability. And uh, so we do have our challenges, but yeah, Durham is an incredible city. And, you know, we, yes, sometimes I always think people say, you know, I I wouldn't want to move there. I'm scared to move there or something. I hear that every once in a while. I used to hear it more. 600 people are moving here every month, you know, so uh, we have no shortage of people that want to live here and work here, and
2: yeah. I will say, one of the things about Durham, so what's most attractive to me about Durham is Durham used to be like what Tulsa, Oklahoma was. We had a Black Wall Street. We had a thriving Black community. If you go downtown Durham and look at some of our buildings, you know, you'll see names like Spalding and Merrill, and, you know, there are people who really impacted the city and had an impact on founding this kind of melting pot that is Durham. You know, crime exists, but I've been here since 1990. And knock on wood, I have never been a victim of any kind of crime whatsoever. Well, I will say we did have some toilet paper papering in my neighborhood. So the (laughs) kids, you know, every once in a while will hang toilet paper everywhere. but, But that's the extent or beat up your mailbox. But that's it, you know, and I think that what's really interesting is that among black and white, sometimes, it's not often, but we get beyond skin color and we actually see the real person. My work and what I'm trying to do, you know, when I left Duke, I was terrified because I didn't know what I was doing. do, but now I've really focused that this work in inclusion and diversity is everything. If we are going to make this world better, we have to see each other. As equals and human beings, not by our skin color, our hair, you know, whatever the physical things are, because those things fade away. It's really what's at the core of the person, the humanity, the kindness. And when I speak about Steve, I, you know, I'm not saying these things to be nice to him. I mean, you if you knew him, you would love him because he's such a genuine person to everyone. It doesn't matter who what it is you want to talk to about. If you want to even want to fuss to him about you know, well, I can't find a house or the price of water has gone up or whatever it is. He's going to always greet you civilly. He's always going to greet you with kindness. And that's what makes Durham unique. Now, you know, some of the other communities, they are very well organized and all that stuff. But Durham is so unique in that, that they have a Black footprint, that they are accepting of other people coming into the community. And many times they don't often see the obvious, right? Race. We are often working for the better good of all. Absolutely. You
1: know, when I think about that, um, people who come to me for things, even though they're mad, they usually have something very legitimate and important to them. Right. It can't always get fixed. There's so many things that I, I have to tell people all the time. I, you know, I I don't I can't fix this, but I can try to connect you to somebody. I can you know and and. And of course, sometimes with the a city service, we can fix it. You know, people have, we can fill your pothole. You know, we can get your garbage picked up when it wasn't, all those kinds of things. And um, so there, there are a lot of things that we can do. And one of the big things, we can make a difference. You know, our affordable housing work is going to be amazing. It is amazing now, and it's going to be amazing in the next five years. We are going to be, you know, building and preserving thousands of units of affordable housing to the affordable housing bond that we passed, the the residents of Durham passed uh, two years ago. And, you know, that work is now coming to fruition. We're starting to see affordable housing coming out of the ground. Uh, We're starting to see, have groundbreakings and uh, we've cut a few ribbons and we're going to just see more and more of that. And I'm I'm very excited about that work. And that's one thing, uh, you know, I hope that even though I won't be mayor that uh, the, the new mayor and, and the, the city manager will invite me some ribbon cutting for some of that great affordable housing. work.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Because you put off to the groundwork done. So you should be there. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're getting close to time, but
0: I just wanted to throw out like a last uh, uh, if you all had any like wrap up stuff you wanted to talk about.
2: So I would like to talk about a couple of things. So, Steve, I know you're going to go home and pay grandpa, and I know you're going to do an exceptional job at that. Please send pictures so we can see what's happening on that front. But um, what is what, what do you see as your next steps? Where are you going from here? And of course, I've already offered you a job. No pay. I can't pay you, <laughs> but I could use all the help I could get with this diversity fight. So You could always come work with me. But Thank what, Rochelle? What are the next steps for?
1: um, school? Thank you. Well, you know, I've worked for 50 years. uh, So I'm going to take a few months and not work. And I mean, seriously, not work.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I'm going to play with my new grandbaby, Josephine, who's five months old, lives five minutes away. Excellent. uh, And my son and daughter in law. I'm going to go visit my other son, some who lives in Miami, who I don't see enough and I adore.
2: If you need a travel companion, I'm happy to go with you. I'd love to have you. <laughs> Miami is a great place to be. That's yes, Especially it in the wintertime. Especially in the wintertime.
1: Yeah. And um, I'm going to, I, I I read a lot and I'm going to read even more. I, I love, I read fiction. I read I read a lot and I'm looking forward. it all. I got to, if, if you could, uh, if I didn't have this background, uh, you, I, you'd see my bo- stacks of books I haven't read yet. Um. I'm going to hang out with my wife who I love so much. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, run a couple of races, you know, I'm slow, old runner, but I'm still out there and ride my bike. And so what I'm trying to tell you is I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have fun.
2: Absolutely. That's and then
1: after job. that, I'm going to figure it out Rochelle. I mean, I've, I, I want to do some work. I'm just not exactly sure what it is, uh, but I'm going to let it come to me rather than trying to dive into something.
2: I appreciate that. But again, this inclusion work needs you, Steve. So
1: thank just, you. I'll 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 help you. I appreciate
0: that. Thank you for listening to Eminent Teachnology. If you like the show, please review, subscribe and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd love to hear feedback from you as well. You can email us at Eminent at gmail.com. See y'all soon.